Coming up on this week's show, author Claire London joins us to talk about her book, Romancing the Rough Diamond. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 240 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thanks to Gustav for joining us. We'll have more information on how you can join the community at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. Another week, another show. We are so glad that you could join us. We want to give an extra special shout out to all the mothers in the audience. We hope you had a good Mother's Day yesterday, however you spent it, and that maybe you even got a good book or two as a present. Also, before we jump into the review segment of this week's show, we want to quickly say that we are doing Pride Month cards for our patrons, just like last year. If you are part of our Patreon community, all you have to do is send us a private message with your mailing address by Monday, May 25th, and you will receive a specially designed Pride card from us during the month of June. And of course, if you're not currently a patron, you can go over to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast for all the details on how to sign up to do that. And you can leave us your address for that special Pride Month card then. That address is patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. In the Hockey Player's Heart, the feel-good gay romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus, hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the school teacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before, and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart at Amazon.com. So recently, super producer Ryan Murphy dropped his brand new series on Netflix, and it's called Hollywood. And it deals with a cast of characters trying to make it in Tinseltown in the post-war 1950s. And before we get into what we thought of this particular show, I think the standard caveat for most Ryan Murphy shows apply. You're probably going to either love it or hate it. Yeah, there's probably not too much middle ground. And from what I've seen on social media, that's certainly true. It seems like you're either gaga for it like we are, or you're like, eh, I don't get it. So, yeah, but as we get into this, you're certainly going to hear that we loved every single aspect of this short-run seven-episode series. So our primary cast of characters involves a young guy named Jack, who has come to Hollywood to make it big in the picture business. To make ends meet, he gets a job working at a gas station, which also happens to serve as a front for a prostitution ring run by a very charming Dylan McDermott. There's also a guy named Raymond. He is a young up-and-coming director who is involved with a beautiful young actress named Camille. And rounding out our cast of characters is the couple of a very young Rock Hudson and his boyfriend Archie, who's trying to make it as a screenwriter. 
And the seven episodes of the series essentially follows their lives and their loves trying to make it in Hollywood, culminating in the creation of a movie based upon the life of real-life actress Peg Entwistle, who is primarily remembered as the woman who committed suicide by jumping off of the H in the Hollywood sign. So I definitely believe that a certain amount of credit is due to Ryan Murphy to getting a show like this greenlit and made. Because let's face it, it has a very specific, narrow audience. Most people are probably not going to care or even understand what this historical setting in Hollywood is all about. And even fans like me, who live for TCM, might have some quibbles with how Ryan Murphy explores the stories of this particular set of characters. What he's done is actually something really interesting and very unique and something that I loved an awful lot. He took Hollywood fact, blended it with fiction and a little bit of fantasy as well. He's taken fictional characters, paired them up with real people, and created Hollywood as he wished it had happened. In certain interviews, I've heard Ryan and some of the behind the scenes people talk about the goals that they wanted to hit telling this particular set of stories. I think Hollywood shows an awful lot of love and care for Hollywood history and the people that were involved in the industry at that time. Specifically, Ryan wanted to give voice to some actors who were left behind by the Hollywood system, primarily Anna Mae Wong, Hattie McDaniel, and Rock Hudson himself, who's a main character in this particular series. And with the interesting concept being, what if Rock Hudson could have lived his life out in the open from the very beginning of his career. It's an interesting question and a bit of wish fulfillment that really hits home for me. I really love this sort of ragtag team of talented misfits who all join together to create this one specific movie, a very specific special project that was going to change Hollywood history. Unfortunately, that movie never happened. It's never existed. But darn it, I sure wish it had. Yeah, it's it's such a special show. And I agree with you that it's it's interesting, and I think it speaks to the power of Ryan Murphy, that Netflix greenlit it. There's a lot of parallels you could draw between Hollywood and the Amazon series from last year, or maybe two years ago now, called The Last Tycoon, with Matt Bomer and Kelsey Grammer. Set in a Hollywood studio not breaking as many barriers as Hollywood tries to, but there's a certain vibe between the two. And The Last Tycoon flopped pretty big time for Amazon, and they canceled it after one season. This is designed as a, I believe Netflix is calling it a special event miniseries. It's these seven episodes, and there's not projected to be a second run now. But this series and how it handles... Not just its gay characters with Rock and with Archie and with one of the studio chiefs who's played by Joe Montello and Jim Parsons' agent character. You also get interracial relationships here, too, which were, I believe, pretty much illegal across the country, including California in the 1950s. Raymond and actress Camille are a mixed-race couple. Archie and Rock are not only gay, but an interracial couple. It, it's very interesting how you, as, as, the, as the movie starts to get made and it's revealed who the cast of characters are, 
how you know they deal in the, in the real way with the protests and the death threats and things that would happen because of these particular characters and their relationships. And I have to say, uh, without getting too into spoilerly material, the the finale episode was really very moving to me in how everything capped off with the big Hollywood ending that you would hope that these characters would get. It was a perfect seven episodes in my view. And I have to say, one of the things that really struck me and, and encapsulates really the entire series is the show's credit sequence, uh, which you don't get in episode one, but starts being used in episode two with our cast of characters climbing the Hollywood sign and helping each other up. And if they slip, somebody's helping them up and they get to the top, standing up there all proud and particularly to see Archie and Rock on top of the sign holding hands. It was just such a beautiful moment captured right there. I kind of already want to go back and watch the series over again to see what I missed. And your Hollywood history is so much better than mine. I often had to ask you, is that real? Or did they make that part up? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And man, the cast here is so good. You know, Ryan Murphy's got the people he likes to work with time and again. You get Darren Criss back here who won an Emmy working uh, a few years back on one of Ryan's shows. The guy that plays Jack showed up in The Politician as River in that show. It's so good. Patty Lapone, oh my God, so good. <laughs> and Queen Latifah as Hattie McDaniel also had some very profound moments in the show. I loved, loved, loved it all. I think it's my favorite Ryan Murphy thing now. If you haven't yet given Hollywood a watch, we highly recommend you do. It is currently streaming on Netflix. All right, moving on to books. I read such a good one this week. It just really swept me away. And it all has a root in podcast fiction. So we talked about podcast fiction a little bit last year, and I've talked about it from time to time on the show. We've reviewed shows like The Love and Luck Podcast and Gay Future. And these days, podcast fiction can even lead to spinoff novels, which is the case with a show called The Bright Sessions. Lauren Shippen created The Bright Sessions back in 2015, and it's a science fiction podcast that follows a group of therapy patients who all have unique supernatural abilities. Think kind of like the X-Men, if you will. And the, the show documents their struggles and discoveries, as well as the motivations of their mysterious therapist, Dr. Bright. Now, The Infinite Noise came out last fall and centers on Caleb, who was first featured in the podcast in episode number two. And Caleb is navigating the power of empathy. And it's not just a little bit of empathy, it's a whole lot of empathy. And it makes him one of the more powerful of what are known as the atypicals in this world. Caleb's a junior in high school, and he has a lot of trouble managing this power in the chaos of high school where there are so many teenage feelings just blasting out everywhere. And when he intervenes between a bully and a victim, he ends up connecting with Adam, who is very much the super smart kid who just tries to stay out of everybody's way and fly under the radar. And while Caleb rages against the bully because he's taking in all of the bully's feelings, and he does end up and get suspended here because that all ended up into a fight. Caleb also discovers that Adam's feelings actually help balance him out and kind of can make him a bit of an anchor amongst all the noise that he gets from his classmates. And he can't quite figure out why that is, but he does grab onto that quite often. And 
unfortunately, Adam suffers from some crippling depression at times. And it turns out that those feelings can actually help pull Caleb under as well. But in the long term, these two also kind of balance each other out. And their feelings for each other really spark a beautiful potential relationship for the two. Now, besides trying to work with Dr. Bright to understand his empathy, and more important, how to control it so he's not constantly overwhelmed, Caleb is now exploring this boy that he's got feelings for and what that means. And he really has to like determine if the feelings are his or coming more from Adam and what what does that all mean? And should he even be telling Adam about these abilities that he has? Because he feels like he should be truthful and, may, and let Adam know that he's very attuned to what he's feeling as well. Now, I mentioned that Adam has this crippling depression that could come around. And his parents are, of course, very worried about him. But they also pay attention to him because they actually do a lot of work in the field of neurology and brain science. And I know brain science isn't the right word, but I couldn't find that word. So I'm going with brain science. So there you go. And as they see Caleb around their son, they're actually becoming very intrigued by Caleb as well. Now, there's a vibe of suspense that goes through all this as well, because there are a lot of atypicals. And there are organizations out there that perhaps mean them harm. We get a small glimpse into other atypicals as well who have made their first appearance in the podcast. Lawrence created really a nice, perfect vibe, low level that it is, of danger that swirls around Adam and Caleb from a few different angles. From Adam's parents, from these organizations that Caleb's only found out a very little bit about from Dr. Bright. I really need to take a deep dive into this podcast. Not having heard the podcast didn't affect my ability to read this and get a complete story, but I'm really now hooked on the atypicals. I want to know so much more about what goes on there. What this book really excels at is these emotions. I've never read someone who captures emotions on the page quite like Lauren does. And it's not just Adam and Caleb's you know, growing love for each other. She really paints in-depth pictures of how Caleb's power affects him, and not always in the best way. Her descriptions of the waves and colors and light and dark and the tendrils that pull on Caleb, sometimes dragging him down and sometimes lifting him up, is really amazing. For Adam, his highs and lows are similarly documented. And like I said, I've never really read anything quite like this, and it just really pulled me more and more into the book. And as much as it does anything else, The Infinite Noise is also really a good look at mental health and especially how, you know, all the feelings and all the thoughts that swirl around teenagers really impact them and what it what it means to have good support with parents and possibly therapists and good friends to kind of help you through everything. I'm so glad I got into the Bright Sessions universe and I really look forward to exploring it more. There's another novel coming out in September called A Neon Darkness, which focuses on Damien, who Adam and Caleb do have an interesting and slightly scary encounter with within The Infinite Noise. And I'm also super excited that Lauren and I will get to discuss The Bright Sessions, the podcast and the books in a few weeks right here on this show. So yeah, I've kind of been a little sketchy on the plot here because I really think this is one of those books where you need to let it unfold for yourself. But I wholeheartedly love Adam and Caleb, and I love the way that Lawrence created this universe, brought it into a book, 
and really shown some amazing light on teenage feelings and mental health issues that go on there. So I highly recommend The Infinite Noise from Lauren Shippen. Now, if you're interested in learning more about The Infinite Noise, The Bright Sessions, or anything else that we've talked about on this week's show, you know what to do. Just go to the show notes page for episode 240 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So I'm so excited this week that we get to welcome back one of our truly favorite people out there in the world of MM romance. Uh, we just love Claire London to pieces, and it was so great to get to talk to her about the book club pick for this month, which is Romancing the Rough Diamond, and the rest of the Romancing the series. Hearing her talk about the inspiration behind this wonderfully funny book is such a good time. So let's get to that now. Claire, welcome back to the podcast. It is so good to have you back with us. Jeff, it's lovely to see you again. And at least, to see, yeah, particularly in these times when you, you're not free to see and talk to people as you might have been before. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm glad that we're getting to see each other in this time. And I'm super happy that we picked Romancing the Rough Diamond for our book club pick for May. I'm thrilled. The, <laughs> Joel and Matt have delighted me so, so much as I've been reading it. Tell us about the Romancing the series in general, because this is its fourth book. It is, it is. And it didn't set out as such. It set out as a single book. And I thought that was a cutesy title, Romancing the Wrong Twin. And then I thought, no, because that summed up what I quite enjoy. I enjoy romantic comedies to watch, to read, because I love that mix of wit and angst often and romance. But I thought, what fun to take the plots, fairly standard plots, but give them that little bit of humour and that little bit of a twist because it'll be guys instead of the traditional boy-girl. And it, it just grew. I thought of other other setups and I thought, let's make this a romancing the... So that sums it up. <laughs> and you really? always do pick interesting, like parallels whether it's a rough diamond or the you know the wrong twin or whatever yeah. that must have been fun to, to come up yeah. with those i like i very much like just as everybody does have their favorite tropes i love the opposites attract because i think that that gives you that spark in a romantic story that it's not two people you'd expect to see together that they're not two people exactly the same with the same ideas and the same backgrounds, because that is the spark, I think, of any relationship. Is and, and sometimes it doesn't work, but sometimes in fiction, of course it does. And so that's, yeah, that's I try to create two guys that are quite different in attitude as well as background, stick them together, initially possibly against their will, and go for <laughs> it, see what happens. Stir it up, see what happens. Do you have a favorite in the series thus far? Like two guys that you just really like? It's like saying, what's your favorite child? Isn't it, it is. Is that? Um, but everybody it probably has one. Is ugly duckling. Yeah, it is Ugly Duckling, I think, because 
yeah, I just loved the characters. I loved the idea of the plot. I loved the outrageousness of a celebrity family like the Kardashians. I just liked it. But Diamond is a very close second. Yes, because I, I, I brought that very much. What I wanted with these as well was to bring out the Britishness. I wanted, it gave me a chance to do that, and that's what I enjoyed. And, and the British humour. That's what I've often just loved about your books, to take a little side trip here, because you also did that a lot with With a Kick. Yeah. That was very British and hilarious. And I could see some of the the small similarities between the two series with that. Yeah, I, I, I loved that because I set that one specifically in London where I was. And there's just so much scope in London. There's so much going on. There's so many different people. There's so much fun. There's so much drama. There's so much can be action. There can be just dom domesticity. I just loved that idea. And Sue and I, Sue Brown and I, thought of the series originally because she, she reckons she saw an alcoholic ice cream shop. But when we went back up on our research trip, you know, research, it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> so we thought, hell, we're going to create it. But yeah, that I think that's what I, I like. I, I'm not a great one for sprawling world building and, you know, extensive backgrounds. I just like the people, I suppose. I like the people and what happens between them. And if you ever want to do something new, once we get out of these weird times, you could always create a boozy ice cream shop. <laughs> I, one day, one day, Jeff. One day. <laughs> My new career. I'll just. We thought we might this summer. We thought we might practice making some. Obviously, we can't share them with anyone. There's a shame. But you know, watch this space. <laughs> I look forward to hearing more about that for sure. So let's get back to what we what we are what we're here for. Tell us about Romance in the Rough Diamond and about Joel and Matt. Well, I I'm gonna just quote you what I put on the blurb, which is this story offers you a gruff designer who prefers digging for treasure, a smooth CEO who's too used to his own company, the glamorous Mayfair world of expensive jewelry, enemies to lovers a gay royal couple who are fond of mischief and an embarrassing accident on the Buckingham Palace railings. I, I call it, I call it four palaces and a farm when I'm reading like a good joke because, because I just love this. I just let rip on, it, it is a glamorous world. So you've got Joel who is a, runs, helps run CEO of a prestigious jewelry company in Mayfair, center of London and gets a commission to create jewellery for, for a gay royal wedding. Needs just that little extra spark from his existing design team. So he calls up this new, this young designer who hasn't, who's, pulled, who's dropped out of the industry for a while. He became disillusioned with it, we find out. But they need him back in to help out. And oh my goodness, it's the same guy that Joel met only... <laughs> day or whatever, a week before at an industry event when neither of them really exchanged personal details but were very drawn to each other, had a passionate kiss and then Matt had been called away because his father had an accident. And there it is. 
I mean, there's a, a fair amount of barriers in their way to start with. Joel isn't sure he can trust Matt because Matt is very outspoken, doesn't have much time for the commercial world, for capitalism in general, uh, to say nothing of the fact Joel's company had actually recently taken over Matt's family's <laughs> company in a hostile takeover bid. So there's a fair amount going on between them that you'd think these guys will never get on. But of course, they love jewellery. They love doing what they can for the royal couple. They want to things to go well. They want whatever. And slowly, they find more in common than they did apart. Yeah, I love you really threw so much against them. And that moment early on when they're when they reveal in the workplace you know it's like oh it's you yep. that's like <laughs> just like wow that's so brilliant and awesome <laughs> i mean you know these things have to be plausible i always think you, you, you do suspend disbelief a little bit don't you in romantic oh, sure. comedy for sure and you have fabulous coincidences but you know they met at an industry do they're both involved in the industry it was perfectly feasible absolutely <laughs> cruel of me i know and I love what you've done with the royal couple at hand here because you've essentially just fictionalized the royals as we know it because the prince here is related to Harry and William. Mm -hmm. You just you fictionalized, I mean, you fictionalized our times. Hey, why not? I mean, I, this is quite interesting when I saw you were going to ask this question because I've had some readers saying they loved that. Other readers have said, oh, no, I prefer it to be a completely fictitious royal family. But no, I wanted it to be uh, recognisable. I wanted mm -hmm. it to be part of, because I am quite a royalist at heart, I must confess. I like the royal family and what the things they get up to. It's, I wanted them part of that. And we've had a, we've had a gay subsidiary wedding in the royal family already. It wasn't one of the primary Royals, I thought, yeah. yeah. And the the family at whole, I feel like every now and then I hear about royals who I didn't know were connected in some way, so why I, not? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I don't think there's any... I mean, I, I hope it, or I intended for it always to be done with respect mm -hmm. for the rest of them. I didn't bring other characters in too much. Of course, of course history moves on, doesn't it? Because I, I wrote it just after the Harry and Meghan wedding when they were the golden couple and that's not necessarily the case at the moment but right yeah yeah you don't want to put too much into a book that dates you or causes issues like you know causes a, a reader's enjoyment to be jarred well and who would have ever thought that harry would have been like okay i'm done here <laughs> yes because <laughs> that I was know. historic because <laughs> he probably gets quoted the most in the book <laughs> So, but no, so I kept the rest of the royal family into the background, but I saw no reason not to put my guy sure. in there. And it's it's similar, I think, to what we saw with Red, White and Royal Blue last year, is that that, you know, took a certain amount of present day and then pivoted it, obviously, significantly to an alternate reality. But still, it gave you certain groundings along the way. I think it helps people um, to connect there. So mm -hmm. that they can, when you're, you know, like I have, I do call it four palaces because there are four palaces in it. But people could say, oh, I saw that on the news. I know what the front of Buckingham Palace looks like, what the gates look like. 
when Matt has his accident. <laughs> Spoilers. And, it, you know, those things, I think it helps people ground it mm-hmm. as well without it being so, you know, calling on so much topical issues. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed setting it with that in the background. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's easy to create your whole own royal family or your own country, but I don't think that necessarily helps. Yeah, I think if you were in some other country, it would, you know, or make up your own island somewhere. But if you're going to set it in London, I mean, use what's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you said you were a, a, a royalist, I think was your term. Did you have to research a lot of the royal side of it for what you were doing? I did quite because my, my whole my whole attitude to research, as, as I always tell people, is do no harm. So right. I don't do a tremendous amount, but I don't want to get anything wrong or upset anyone. I did do a fair amount of research. I live quite near Hampton Court Palace anyway, so I've, I've been there a few times. And the other palaces, researched them. I researched, there's a scene later on in the book when they go to what is like a secret bar at the Tower of London, a secret pub. So I made sure that existed, that what it would perhaps look like. Uh, I did a fair amount on jewellery making, on goldsmithing. Yeah, I was going to ask about that too, because you make such a rich world out of that jewellery making and the design and and what Joel and Matt are ultimately doing for the royal family. And I was fascinated by that. And yet you didn't put too much in either, because it's not, it never gets like, why, why are we going on here about gold or anything? But it's it's there. It's quite, it's quite, you know, that's quite an art, I think, that an author has to try and learn and improve on through their career on giving enough information to set the scene. And I'm not just talking about description of a uh, scenery, any sort of scene. So I, it was suggested to me that I, I put more into the book to, to pad that out, really, to, to give that flavour of the jewellery itself rather than just saying, oh, here's some pretty jewellery. So that that was really interesting, though. To, you could lose yourself in YouTube videos watching goldsmiths at work. It's fantastic. But, yeah, yeah, and then what else do I... I mean, I make reference to paintings and such like. I mean, they're all, they all exist. I try to make sure things exist. And you hope, don't you, that when a reader goes into a book, they know this is a fiction book. This mm-hmm. is not, you know a non-fiction how-to. So to some things... <laughs> Please don't try this at home. <laughs> instructions on how to abseil or something like that. You know, I think they have to realise that there will be a little bit of poetic licence. Mm-hmm. And I like your do no harm because, yeah. you know, neither <laughs> take the reader out of it or, you know... Yeah, because it, you can't know everything. And there's a terrible, there's a terrible temptation to let your research show if you do an awful lot of it. That's why the very best historical writers, it's because they've absorbed that world. They don't even need to tell you what people are wearing or what, they can do it with a word or um, a dialogue choice. So that's, I think, what you have to aim for. You want to put enough in to give some enjoyment to the story, some context, I think, to the story. But yeah, and I write mainly contemporary, mm-hmm. so. It's just looking at other places, but at least it's in my time. It's not right. Not a different time, or planet, or <laughs> I've done. I've done fantasy, and it's it's a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of work. I don't. It's marvelous. 
what was your seed of inspiration for this story? Because I could see it coming from any number of places between having a royal family getting married and the whole jewelry thing. Or was it just a root of somehow Matt and Joel as characters that was like, this is the, this is this book? Originally, because I was looking at these sorts of setups to write a book, I wanted something where an enemies to lovers. So I wanted someone who had been betrayed and Matt did feel his family had been betrayed because the company had been a hostile taken over against their their will or so he thought. And that, so that was where it started. So it was more of my accountancy background really rather than anything else. And this, yeah, I know, how boring is that? But then I thought, no, I want this to be really high-end glamour, really at the top of its game, top expensiveness, fashion. So it's going to be Mayfair. It's going to be jewellery, loads of money involved, loads of prestige. And what would happen if you had to work with the person whose company had betrayed you as you foresaw it? And then off it went from there. You had to think about why. Where, why, why were both of these guys at this position of their careers at this time? <laughs> the glamour certainly just adds to the feel between the royals and this high-end yeah. jewelry. I think if this was America, we'd think Tiffany. You know, as Which, yes, yes, of course. I mean, we're lucky we have a very glamorous royal family that is known worldwide. However, whatever your opinion is of them, people know them and they are part of of British history and pageantry. And mm -hmm. I wanted to make most of that, I think. And you mentioned a little bit, you know, the template that you have yeah. for these. Do Tell us a little bit more about that, because I think we hear template and we're like, that there's, of course, there's, there's formula to a degree in romance, but there's so much more, I think, after you have the template that you pile on to make it extremely unique. I mean, I think format is almost not the right word. I think there are expectations. So mm. you start with the expectation. The minute you say romance, it is a capital R. It's not a book with romance in it. A romance book has a it's capital R. It has an expectation of what will happen, how, what balance there will be, what structure there will be. And when I first wrote all of these, really, there was um, a prevailing ruling as to the word count, as to what should be in it, as to the level of heat in the romantic scenes, in the intimacy, all of those things. And I think that in some, in some cases, I really enjoyed that because I can just ramble. And so it enabled me <laughs> to be a little more structured and to think more carefully about what you want to deliver within this book to get to your HEA. Of course, there's always an HEA, happy ever after. But also it can... It can prickle your skin. You can want to break free, do something different. I would have taken some characters a different direction. I would have had more going on, those sorts of things. But it, it I think it enabled me in all that series. I wrote them all on that basis, and they were just right for me that they were coming out in that format with that plot, with that <laughs> aim, whatever. And really, if you're like me, you like to play with the tropes because the tropes are fun. Yeah, they are. They are. And, uh, you know, like we've said, it doesn't mean that it's the same as any other book in right. that trope 
all of them will always be different. And people like the familiarity of, oh, this is a so-and-so book. This is a mistaken identity. It's an opposite. It's attractive. You know, those things attract us best. I'm a terrible one-clicker for certain tropes, but we won't go there. And Oh, I think you have to tell us now what are your favorite tropes. It's terrible. It's terrible. Rent boys. I'm dreadful. I'm dreadful. <laughs> the redeemed rent boys. Terrible. I'm awful for it immediately. I want to see that happy ever after. But it's, you know, I think that each author will bring its own. And you, you, I read very much by author, actually. So whatever they write, I would like certain people's work. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it's, it's that lovely mix of familiarity and, oh, what will the author do with it this time? This will be great. What will the guys be like? What, you know, will they be, what ages will they be? What backgrounds? What? How will they talk to each other? That's the fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and you've done that in, in the romancing the series because it's always vastly different guys coming together I, somehow. I hope so, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you just—they just need to be very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just love that contrast and conflict. But yeah, you have to, and you, you when you hear authors say, "Oh, they—they're just talking to me." Well, my guys don't talk to me because they are only characters, but but they do. When you start to write, they do create a voice, and I think that's really important to get that voice, and that is their character. That's mm-hmm. how you illustrate their character to your reader that's your only only tool really mm-hmm. to show and that's the fun do we get more in this series well i hadn't planned to <laughs> i mean i've got two or three brief outlines before i settled on rough diamond actually that i would have but none of them went further i don't know never say never i guess Never say never. Send me ideas. You never know what I might think of. Maybe when, you know, when this awkward virus-stricken period is over, my muse perks up again. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you're working on right now or more stuff coming out? It's I've got a short story coming out next month at JMS Books called Time Slip, which is, again, contemporary romance, but with a little paranormal time travel twist to it i've got a i'm i'm serializing i hope starting next week you heard it here first serializing an old book that i'm revamping in my facebook group so that will be happening during april end of april which when this airs <laughs> probably be after otherwise couple of couple of new I mean I'd like to go back to the accidental baker series which I'd got started on I planned four more stories on that and also I've got a twinkling of an idea about a thief and an accountant that started but not not quite got there yet but it's on its way the voices are coming not autobiographical I hope that you haven't been mixing in with thieves have you (laughs) I'm just on an eternal quest to make accountants exciting and worthy of romance. <laughs> and I know that's an uphill struggle. My God. But one day I will write my accountant vampire. It's com- It's coming. One day I've got, I've got the outline. You know, I, I just like to break. I like, 
know, not break the expectations, break the, what would you say, not cliches, but, but just to twist a little bit, just to give all those sorts of corny old setups. I just like to give just a little bit of a twist. And you've played with accountants before, because I remember the accountant from With a Kick. Brian, I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's a bold one, secretly at home. He's a bold one. So, yeah, I, you know, we're there. We're out there in the world, and I think they deserve all that. It's, um, you know, someone once told me, you look at all the heroes in our books, and they all either run a coffee shop or uh, a professional sport personal or something glamorous. You know, it's an awful lot of people just doing normal office jobs who I think probably deserve a little more glamour and and their, their place in a romance book. Yeah, I was I was thinking as we were watching a Hallmark movie the other night, it's like, there's a lot of people who work at magazines here. <laughs> it just kind of struck me. It's sweet for them to come home to the, you know, or their, their cop. Or their, I mean, a lot of people are, but there's an awful lot of people doing very boring stuff because the job doesn't matter really. Yeah, exactly. Tell us more about this book coming from JMS. Time slip? Time slip. It is. Thank you for the plug of the time. It's, it's an old story that I've had for a while. So I have slightly re-edited it's one I always really enjoyed because, again, it's a it's a bit of a it's a guy who works in an office, <laughs> a little bit of a, a sassy character, a big crush on his boss. The boss absolutely cuts him dead, has no interest in any. But somehow, I mean, I don't think it's a surprise. I think it comes out in the blurb. One night, our hero is going to bed in his sleep socks and his ratty old T-shirt and this fantastically gorgeous boss appears and starts chatting to him as if they've been going out for years and starts to get into bed and he said what's happening what's happening here and it's just about that little twist as he tries to find and into the office the next day the guy's as cold as anything so what is going on and time travel you say i'm intrigued god all of my family will tell you I struggle with time travel. I struggle. Anything, they just laugh if a movie comes on that's got time travel in it. But uh, just a little twist. Time twisting, I think we call it. And, and what are your issues with time travel? Do tell. I just can't keep up, Jeff. I can't keep up. I don't, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. If, if he's there, wouldn't that have changed that? And how come he's here now and they know him then but they didn't know him now and I I lose it I'm trying to think of anything we watched recently I just okay there's a, a really grim German series called Dark I don't know if you've watched that one no but that has three different generations so there's a generational gap none of them of course look like the same person because they're at different stages of their lives nightmare wonderful <laughs> I love to but I didn't know what the hell was going on. How did you solve for that in your own time travel book? I know. I know. It's if you think. <laughs> I think I always think, I suspect a lot of authors do, a setup, a scene. And then you think, well, how did that happen and why? And I like to write a little bit of paranormal now and then, a little bit of something a bit different. I've just had the right choice has been out at JMS as well. So there's a few of my older short stories, sort of longer short stories, mm -hmm. out that it's, I've 
pleased to see the light of day again. So. Tell us a little bit about Right Choice since that one has just come out also. Yeah, so it's another little twist, but it is totally contemporary where a guy's getting ready for his wedding and his sister comes up to say, oh, my God, Nikki is at the door. And you think, what, what does this mean? And it's as if Nikki is not, shouldn't be there. And then we go back through Patrick's memories of how Nikki was, how he first came out, how he first realised he didn't want to date girls. He wanted to date boys and he wanted to date Nikki. And how they still fought. Patrick was still keeping it quiet or on the down low. They argued. They were passionate. They were... What will happen, Jeff? I don't know. Well, I suspect, since it's romance with a capital R, there yes. might be an HEA in there somewhere. <laughs> I know. I, I just I had a I had a review this week. It was a lovely review, but she said, "My God, I was biting my nails." <laughs> but at, you know, at the end, obviously things come clear. But I did write it a little bit like that. A little, what is happening? You're not quite sure. But I don't keep people waiting for too long to find out well you know that's one of my favorite things because i mean i read all these books i i know how this works right and yet yes. if an author can make me go how is this going to actually work itself out oh my god this can't work out i'm i'm very into that if i can get tense in a romance even though i know it, it has to come out right there's still yeah, that. Yeah. I like when I'm sucked in enough to, to feel that tension of, you will this really that, work? You need, need that challenge, that little bit of insecurity. I don't think people, I mean, there is a huge market for angst books, and I very often want to read terrible angsty where they go through the most awful yes. um, obstacles to get to true love, if you like. But that in the same way, I quite often don't like contrivances. I don't like things that are hung on for too long or there's too huge... Uh, a leap of disbelief or something. You know, you, it's just what suits the reader. But I do like, as you say, to think, my God, how's this going to... Otherwise, you need to um, you need something to support a book, don't you? A novel length needs to be something happening as opposed to an aircraft falling from the sky or something awful like that. And I don't mind books that are, are truly, you know, totally sweet and things happen. But those wow. moments where it's like, oh, can they walk back from that? I don't know. <laughs> Well, that terrible, I didn't see that coming, but oh no, that's it then. And then you look down and you think, oh, it's only 60%. I've got time for it to catch up. Exactly. For things to come straight before the end, I hope. You know, I yeah, I love it. I, I, I love reading. I think most of us love reading. Anyway, yeah. isn't it? It's that adventure. It's an adventure every exactly. time. Exactly. Brilliant. So tell folks how they can keep up with you online so that they can keep up with new releases. They Let's tell them about your Facebook group so they can go check out the serial, which will still be there when this comes out. Yeah, do please go see that because I went into hiatus for a while, my group, because I had a profile, I had a page. I'm also on Twitter. I've got a website. And so it had gone on hiatus, but I have rejuvenated it recently. It's called Claire London Calling. You'll find it on Facebook. I'm hoping now to bring some things into it that are a little bit exciting, a little bit different, just just for a smaller group of people who you know, or you hope you know, are interested in my fiction and where I would let people know immediately what's going on. There's been upheaval 
it with my publisher over the last year and so my website is not particularly up to date but it will be and a lot of people are, are refinding their way i think with their backlist but i i really do like to be everywhere i'm on instagram i'm on bookbub always very very happy for people to get in touch as well and ask any questions we will link up to all that good stuff so people can find you and Thank you for coming Excellent. to talk to us a little bit about Romancing the Rough Diamond. I'm just so thrilled that you enjoyed it. It's it's lovely. That is, well, it, that is the ultimate for an author, isn't it? And somebody <laughs> says we enjoyed it. And thank you for inviting me. It's been great. This week's interview transcript has been brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. And thanks again to Claire for coming to tell us all the good stuff about Romancing the Rough Diamond. I said it in the book club episode, and I'll say it again here now. Claire, we need a book that defines the relationship and how Paulo and the prince got started. So please think about doing that. Please and thank you. <laughs> well, I think that's enough for making demands of our favorite authors. <laughs> now, coming up in next week in episode 241, author Victoria Lee is going to be here. She's going to be talking about the books in her Fever Wake series. I really enjoyed talking to Victoria after I got to read The Fever King a few weeks ago. So much interesting stuff surfaces in that interview, so I think you guys are going to like it a lot. Remember, everyone, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.